Blog Talk Radio. Uh, Aloha. Oh, sorry. I mean to gargle my voice as I was going into Aloha. Sorry about that. It happens. Uh, good to be here. Always good to be here. On air is my place. It's my happy place, my fun place, my everything place. Uh, we want to let you know, new listeners, because we get new listeners with every guest and we get new listeners every week. Nothing we ever say is coming from like the snobby point of view. So if we talk about a friend of Sidney Lamed or some old jazz player or uh, before I bring in the guest, if we speak of some obscure uh, something in art or film, it's just to have a conversation. It's not because we think we know everything because we don't. So want to start off welcoming our guest. Are you with us? Yes. I am. Hello, welcome. Hi, how are you? I'm fantastic. This is Christina Callas. Hi. Appreciate it. Thank you for calling in today. So, how is where you're at going? Good. I'm in New York. Uh, it's cold. It's gray, but everything else is fine. Excellent. Well, yeah, I'm I'm in the Midwest, so it's a little cold for my taste. Uh, being from California and Hawaii, but other than that, it's all good. Uh, today, we're going to talk talk about a number of things, and I think I had told you uh, we we do jump around, so we don't do the, like, where'd you go to college, and then what'd you do after college, and then that A to Z thing makes me as a viewer, so I just want to let you know that we, we do prepare. Uh, of course, the place that we always have to start with is influences and well actually you know what I'm gonna do something today that I've never done since we're gonna kind of be speaking something of a trilogy where would you like to start in the trilogies and then I'll start from there with my side of preparation uh well I don't know I mean I can talk about the rainbow experiment which is which has just been released uh well it it was actually it had a theatrical release last week a limited theatrical release in LA and it's now all over the place um on VOD and uh Blu-ray and DVD everywhere where there's books and films uh and uh it's going out worldwide it's running out worldwide as well um as you know the film had a pretty uh, amazing festival run, both domestic and international. Uh, we went to Russia with it, to China, uh, to Greece, uh, and there's still a couple of festivals coming um, in the next, uh, well, in the spring. So, yeah. Well, that's, that's that fantastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, congratulations on that. I'm, uh, I mean, when I, when I read the materials and saw that you uh, I mean, anything at CineQuest is great. I've I've heard it in person and then covered it by screener a couple of times with media credentials. And I always tell filmmakers right. if you get, if you get into CineQuest, that's just as good as winning an award. You know, there's certain festivals that I'm like, you don't. You know, sure, the Grand Jury Prize is great anywhere, but it's just like that's just such a well-respected festival. Yeah, uh, Cleveland. Well, we, we premiere, okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, we premiered actually at Slamdance, uh, which is oh, yes, one of the right. top five film festivals in the U.S., and that was uh, an incredible experience. And CineQuest was our second uh, festival, and then we went to Cleveland, and Cleveland is, is, is amazing. I think it's, you know, the best 
kept secret. <laughs> uh, I, just, you know, uh, I, I was going to say, I'm intrigued by that because no disrespect to anyone. Everything we say on the show, what the guest says is their opinion. What I say is my opinion. I don't judge anyone. But I personally cannot stand Cleveland, and it's hilarious because I've been to 30 states, five countries. It's like on my top three of places I want to go again. But everybody tells me how great their film festival is. Yes. So I was like, but it's in this place I don't ever want to go again. So it's always, I was just looking at that, and I was like, this is funny, another film saying, so I'll end up going there one day for the festival, but that'll be like my, um, congratulations that this film uh, because it is rare, as we both know these days, that a film gets to DVD or Blu-ray. Um, we won't get into whether or not streaming. Streaming was obviously a great thing for independent film, but sometimes we miss stuff because if they don't get Amazon, we know DVD doesn't select as many films. So we definitely want to congratulate you on that. That is superb news. Uh, if you could share... Uh, what just this is an experience I'm interested in because it's becoming more and more rare. How did you feel holding your first DVD or Blu-ray of your movie? Uh, well, you know, it's 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 not really my first because um, you know I come from Europe, so I relocated to um, to New York uh, seven years ago and. Uh, back in Europe, I made a number of uh, feature films and TV shows um, as a writer and producer. So um, I started directing when I came to New York, but I did, you know, I did hold DVDs or Blu-rays before as it was a much more, uh, you know, a, a mode of distribution that was uh, really preferred uh, a few years ago. Now everything has been taken over by streaming platforms. Uh, so, you know, as a member of the Writers Guild, I'm getting a lot of screeners, and I really appreciate them because I like having a physical copy of the film. So, yeah, I, I love this. Uh, you know, feeling of actually having the, you know, the film in my hands, even if I have a link or I can go anytime on on the streaming platform, and that's exciting as well. So, yeah, a lot of things are changing there in terms of distribution, and that's definitely one of them. Yeah, I just asked because some people listen to our show for education, and we like to let people know and get those. Uh, you know, I I had my features in, when Blockbuster Video was still open. So I could go yeah. for videos and walk by my movie, you know. And so that was like really far out. I'd still walk by it, and you know, if it was checked out, I'd be like, "Wow, I wonder who checked it out." I hope they don't know me. Um, I hope someone watches it besides my grandma. Um, so with with the rainbow explosion, or no, sorry, I'm saying very that nice. Of, yes, it's an like, explosion no, 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 I, that no, no. happens. No, no, yeah, that's that's what I was getting at. I, I was. <laughs> That's, thank you for catching that, that I wasn't thinking that was the title. Um, I, I do want to just touch on your influences because uh, 42 Seconds of Happiness is so different, in my opinion, except the ensemble and the, you're so great at building up tension and drama and making drama feel like it's the way it is in life, like, like. I'm just going to be honest. I woke up thinking I was going to have a great morning this morning and then some family drama broke out and it was just not one of those mornings where you thought it was going to be. So it really made me relate even more to your films. And so 
whether you want to use 42 seconds of happiness because that's available on Prime or people can rent the Rainbow Experiment. I would like to know your thought process of how you just are so jazz-like with your building of drama. Like as a writer, just what's your, like you have brains on the horse perfectly. Right. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because, uh, you know, in the Rainbow Experiment, I worked also because it's set in a high school with a number of kids and that were in high school then. And uh, then, uh, you know, one one day I, I happened upon one of those uh, kids on the subway in New York and uh, he, he had, you know, he had watched, he had just watched uh, 42 Seconds of Happiness after we had shot the Rainbow Experiment and, you know, he has gone through that elaborate system of, of rehearsals or workshopping that I do with each film. And, and he was telling me that at his school, you know, there was like a saying that every time that, that something you know, happened that was devastating, you know, like, you know, one kid's parents got a divorce or somebody got sick or whatever, you know, and uh, they would find that moment when they could start laughing about it. They were all saying, you know, this is like a Kalas movie, you know, and I think that's that's like, you know, that was the biggest compliment to me because I, I sometimes think I'm making comedies about very serious things. Um, and that has to do with observing very closely uh, how we are as human beings and in our interactions with each other. And uh, I find that the closest I go or the more authentic it becomes, the more funny it is. You know, we are funny in our most serious moments. And uh, humor is really important to me, you know, when I uh, develop or create those films. Um, and uh, that's that's, I think, something that, um, that uh, yeah, that, that's hopefully both in 42 Seconds of Happiness as well as in the Rainbow Experiment and now in my next one that I'm working on. Um, so, yeah. Uh, well, I, well, I was, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued because I was, I know it had mentioned Cassavetes in the material. Right. And, of course, those, are so much hard. I mean, I'm even too young for it where, you know, they just sell them in that box set of faces and well, under the influence. I was shocked as hell. I'm, you know, part of any language I use an uncensored show. I'm in a small town in the middle of Kentucky and they had a woman under the influence at the library. And I was just like, you know, who around here is like, did on Cassavetes. Anyways. So I was right. watching 42 seconds of happiness and I was thinking that there was a real European feel to it but of course the characters were American and now it's making more sense to me because again like I was saying in the beginning of the show right before you came on we all know that European films tend to capture life better tend to have a little bit less structure tend to be more character oriented um, are not trying to meet a formula and go with where I want to go, and uh, with 42 Seconds of Happiness, I do, I completely, what I loved the most about it was how there were so many things that are not funny, because I'm, I'm turning 40 a few weeks, so mm-hmm. as, I'm turn, as I'm turning 40, I'm thinking about my 30s, and I'm thinking about the different, you know, that period of now all friends are married, and everyone has kids, and 
you know, I started out my thirties going through a big breakup and after, after seven years. So it's like, I was watching that movie and I was just going like, why did I act like that? Why did I, you know, and there was so many times where I was just kind of moving in and around the table, not to spoil anything about the movie. You guys got to check this out, especially since it's so quickly available to you on Prime. There's just this great dinner scene where it's, you know, it's so just, I all all I'll say is the character is just being very absurd. I can say that I always knew to not be that absurd when I was around a dinner table with friends, but I definitely knew being in situations with people that were like that. And Mm -hmm. I just, I really wanted to compliment you on that because, okay, um, it was one of the first times where I was really like laughing and uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. kind of like how far is the writer going to make this serious before it becomes like, okay, enough already. But then again, that's what the scene was exactly about. So that was just kind of my babbling way of giving you a compliment. Um, Thank you so much. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the dinner scene that you mentioned uh, in 42 Seconds of Happiness, I think one of the reviewers called it, you know, the best the written or the perfectly structured master scene. Um, and uh, it, it's really interesting. I mean, you, you, you know, you touched upon a couple of things. I mean, let, let me go back to the influences. I, I really, you know, I mean, Casavetes um, or, you know, someone um, in the reviews uh, or in Q&As, um, you know, some people mentioned uh, Robert Altman uh, as an influence, of course, because, you know, the Rainbow Experiment has 36 characters, uh, Nashville has 36 characters, which is one of my favorite films. Uh, right. And 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 Kislovsky, you know, as European filmmaker, is obviously also a huge uh, um, influence or role model or whatever. Um, I consider, you know, the Decalogue one of the masterpieces of of film history. And yeah, it is a combination of 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 European, my European sensibility. I am European and. And, uh, you know, I'm not, you know, in a way, I'm not just from one country. It's like a mixture of countries that have influenced me and where I have lived. Um, originally, I'm Greek, um, and but I've lived for many, many years in Berlin, in Germany, and have made my films all over Europe. So, um, and, and the American sensibility, you know, I've, I've grown up with American cinema. I, I love American cinema, especially in the 1970s, you know, where American films were much more um, character-focused and, um, and uh, humanity-observing. And um, I think that, you know, just to, um, to conclude with uh, what you mentioned about structure, uh, you know, in an interesting way, a multi-protagonist and non-linear films, which is what I'm interested in as a filmmaker, as a you know, writer-director mostly, um, is, uh, is much more demanding in terms of structure than, you know, the classic single protagonist, <clears throat> sorry, going against all goals, storytelling of, of um, uh, you know, that we are used to. Uh, so you need uh, a very, you know, precise script and a very precise um, 
uh, structuring uh, or sort of editing, which is, you know, the final writing, as you know, um, uh, to to be able to hold together so many storylines and so many characters, make them distinctively different, you know, um, allow the audience member to follow each of their of those characters and also have compassion for each of those characters, you know, so it doesn't sort of become a black and white world where there's, you know, the good ones and the bad ones. Uh, so that's that's really. Right. Um, that's really important to me, and it's also something that that is also a challenge. Every time, you know, you know, when you have 36 characters, is it going to work out? You know, or are people going to completely lose themselves in that maze of of storylines that are uh, partly private, partly, you know, uh, uh, sort of influence, but but also influence the plot, and the plot influences them. So it's a it's a very complex and challenging undertaking as a whole. Well, that's what I very, it's funny because I was sitting here as you spoke and I was crossing off my, what I had thought were references or influences. Uh, I obviously thought Nashville shortcuts, which of course leads to Paul Thomas Anderson. Cause of course, myself uh and i don't never ask anyone yes yeah yeah, he's you know magnolia i know that blew everybody's mind and then i remember the first time i ever saw an interview and he was like whoa whoa, 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 whoa. it's just about nashville it's not about magnolia like i ripped that off of robert altman and you know what what i like about this is 42 seconds of happiness is i can guarantee is something that i can watch in a year and will be different and that's what i love about magnolia is that like You know, my grandmother passed away from cancer, and I watched it exactly like Jason Robards. So I can't watch Magnolia anymore. The sexy Jason Robards, I turn it off. Yeah. So I, so I, I no No, longer get to enjoy that part. Yeah, you're right on. Yeah, those those are multiple viewing films, and and you know they are just like you know I call them open structures in the sense that there is a you know I mean the film medium in its classic form is 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 like a dead form you know. Uh, it's um, uh, you know Charlie Kaufman, whom I adore as a yeah, as a writer right. and as a filmmaker. Uh, he has said once, you know, that he's not uh, interested in the old form of storytelling because it's dead, because there's no interaction with the with a single audience member or with the audience uh, as it is in theater, for instance. And uh, so what he's doing with his storytelling is trying to open up that form so that it's a, a discussion with each audience member, even if it's set in stone because the film is edited, finished, locked, you know, there's nothing you can change. And and that is what is exciting about it. As you say, you know, it's watching these films again and again um, and depending on where you stand at that moment in your life, you have a different experience because you're bringing yourself your current, um, you know, your current state of mind, your current uh, set of experiences into that equation. And that is not uh, possible with a film which can only be understood in one way. You know, you have one protagonist, you know, they have a goal, they go against the obstacles, they achieve their their goal or their need, and um, and that is a very set form. There's not many ways that you can 
that you can, you know, perceive that. You can either like it or not. But with, with you know, those open structures, you can really have an experience each time. You mentioned Magnolia. There's other films. There's a lot of films, you know, that Oh, well, certainly films like, yeah, you admit, I mean, and, and yeah, and adaptation is the best. I mean, a writer writing a book within a screen plus a writer and being John Malkovich. I mean, I remember when I saw that at the theater, I took my friend who, he always gets mad at me because I've known him 26 years, and he always says that I spoiled movies for him. Like, he doesn't like them because he'll pay attention to editing or sound design, and so he'll skip movies for the last decade because he's just like, he would hear me rambling. And I remember when he, I came to that, he just was like, what, what the F was that? Like, he was like, I would right. rather like smoke some weed, you know? And I was like, yeah. what are you talking about? Just like, I feel stoned. Like what just happened? And I was like, well, that right. was kind of the point of the movie. And I know, I mean, being John Malkovich, as we know, floored everyone. But um, what I like uh, with your work is that there's not a, and here's something this Again, sometimes I ask questions, and it's never personal, but if you can't answer it, just feel free to say I'm always intrigued when, uh, like, you're talking about structure, and then I read mm-hmm. articles like the Writers Guild denies film because they don't follow a structure. So being mm-hmm. a member, is there anything you can enlighten us about what that is and how it is as a member of the Writers Guild? I mean, I'm not asking you to take a stance against them, but I'm, uh, I've I, never understood I'm, it. I'm not sure I understand um, the question. So it's the writer's goals has talked about structure? You mean, yeah, I mean, well, they, what is... Be, oh, what they do... I, I'll say, I saw an article in Hollywood Reporter the other day. I should have wrote the titles down, but it said, this film, this film, this film will not be eligible for Golden Globe or Oscars because... And it mentioned these structural things and these things that they wanted to have so I'm just always intrigued what members of the right have to do to be in the writers guild and how that applies to you getting to do what you want with your structure like, like is there- right. I, I'm, I'm not sure I have come across anything like that I mean they're not there to sort of you know um, define uh, aesthetic uh, decisions or creative decisions in terms of the writing I don't think I've ever and in fact you know I've you know, I've been, um, I've, I've held a couple of times, you know, talks at, at the Writers Guild about, you know, my book, for instance, because I wrote a book called Creative uh, Screenwriting, Understanding Emotional Structure, where, you know, I um, I talk about those open structures and how to achieve them or, you know, how to sort of get away from formulate writing. And um, I, I'm not sure that, uh, no, I, I don't think they are actually uh, sort of defining the game in that sense. It's not their function and that's not their purpose. I mean, the Writers Guild is there to, you know, to professionalize uh, or to unionize, uh, a, you know, a profession. So uh, they are doing a pretty good job in terms of, uh, you know, making sure that, uh, everything is uh, that the writers are, you know, paid. That they are, um, that that there's no uh, like new platforms which are, you know, not giving the writers residuals. You know, things like that. And 
and that's you know that those are guilds with very long history and very long tradition. So, oh, quite, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So you know, in order to be a member of the writers' guild, as you know, a member of any guild, really, you have to have a professional background. You have to have, you know, made your, uh, you know, paid your dues in some way. Um, and yes, and uh, I, that's I just want to let you know background. I just want to let you know, I'm sorry, but I just want to let you know that I'm sometimes with these shows, well, usually with these shows, uh, so you know, um, and we we know a lot of people that have been on the show, I will occasionally leave some mystery for myself, so I want to let you know that some questions are not that I didn't Google or take my time to to read about you, it's because... I like to kind of sit here too and also learn from the guests. Um, sure, yeah. So, and I'm also the king of uh, this, and this is kind of, I was not laughing at you, but I was laughing because every time where I'm just like, you know, I think instead of reading five pages, I'm going to read three pages online. Then it'll be a guest as yourself where it's like, you've also written books. And stuff all over Europe. <laughs> so then it's like, oh, well, I wanted to maybe read that book. And I wanted, you know, like, I wanted to right. watch those European films. And so I am the king of, you could give me a hundred podcasts. And if I picked two, it would be the two where the person has all this other library. So I want to let you know that I'm completely respectful of that. And that we purposely do that to learn. Um, this is awesome that you've bounced around because what we love about the show is that we get guests from, uh, we've only had call-in guests when they're in Los Angeles, but we've had guests from Paris and Germany and, uh, you know, all, all over Canada. So we love that this show is global and we celebrate it as world cinema. Uh, but uh, back to what brought us together, um, if there's something that we, we should uh, go back here to, your trilogy, you had a, you had a screening in Los Angeles. Um, right. I'm assuming that went very well. Did that go as you yes. planned? Excellent. Yes. No, that was, that was great. Of course, you know, I mean, theatrical distribution at the moment is, you know, like, like an endangered species. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. It's, you know, what's a movie theater? <laughs> Uh, well, the, the movie theater where we played it was uh, was at Arena Cine Lounge, um, uh, which is a great a great cinema, and it's you know I think one of the couple very few uh, that are still playing independent films, um, and, uh, and but but still you know have an amazing projection. So it's just a joy to be able you know for. For for a filmmaker today, um, it's a, it, it, you know if you're not making like one of those blockbusters that get wide distribution, and I think you know when we opened in LA, you know looking at the list of films that were opening that week um, uh, in Variety. Oh, wait, hello, are you there? Oh, I lost you. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, Miss Callis, Miss Christina Callis dropped out for a second. I'm going to just shoot her a text and let her know. Oh, okay, um, because something broke, okay. broke away. Yeah, 
Oh, yeah, so no worries. Else, yeah, yeah. Everything else was uh, limited theatrical fees, you know, the Rainbow Experiment among them. And, and I think that, do you hear me? Yes, yes. Oh, okay, there was some noise. So um, I think that that's pretty characteristic of what's happening right now. It's, it's, really, um, it's really changing, you know, the whole, I mean, for a few years now. But it is, it is really important uh, for a filmmaker to have that direct, you know, conversation with an audience. So in a way, the festivals are more or less taking over what theatrical release was because this enables... Right you to have that conversation with the audience, to have that direct feedback, to, you know, to, um, to, to not actually be on the one side and then, you know, they're watching through that medium of, uh, of their computer or whatever. But so, yeah, so theatrical release is, is just, yeah, uh, I hope, you know, we won't reach that point where we think what is a movie theater because it, is, it does make a difference whether you watch a film uh, in a group of people, and the oh, yes, yes. experience is a very different one than if you watch it at home. But uh, you know, I'm a film buff, you know, and I watch yes. as many films as possible. And I also, you know, I've I've taught films film for many many years. So, uh, but still, I watch a lot of films at home, you know, and uh, either from screeners or online, and and. If I do that, then you can imagine what you know what the wider audience uh, is doing. So yeah, we're at a very critical moment. I, I I'm optimistic though. You know, I I think that the same thing happened to books. You know, a few years ago, people were saying books are dead. You know, bookstores are dead. There's never you know, and, and um, it's it's not true. You know, people are still buying books. They still go to bookstores. They still want to have a physical book in their hands. Uh, and actually go to bookstores, which is probably, you know, the equivalent to go to a film theater rather than, you know, ordering the book online on uh, a platform. Uh, so I'm hopeful that this is going to happen with film as well, but ultimately we will miss that and we will go back to having that experience more than we have it now. So, you know, there will be yeah. more than a limited theater experience. The, the Los Angeles thing is tough because I live south of Los Angeles, so what will happen is they'll only, they'll take the main art films, say the award season films, which you probably have screeners of. Uh, the only time I want to be a member of any guild is in December and January. Um, and, uh, everything, they just put it at the most expensive theater where I live. Like if you right. want to see five movies, you're going to spend 130 bucks. No, yes. Yeah, wrong, that's I'm why sure movie pass is uh, was such a good idea, you know. And, yeah. and our release was, you know, people could come with a movie pass, but you know, movie pass is in trouble. So. <laughs> yeah. See. So no, and yeah. I'm not even going to pay for uh, if you give me Serpico, Dog Day Afternoon, Twelve Angry Men, and the verdict on the big screen in a 35 millimeter print. I'm not going to spend 100 bucks for Sydney Lumet Festival, so I'm certainly not going right. to pay for or works for the day. So I'm glad that you right. got that experience. We we laugh at the show. We always laugh because whenever we have a chance to see a film there or a guest that we know beforehand, uh, aside from how I discovered screening was going to happen, I'm always out of town. The way that they tell me or email me or invite me, it doesn't matter if they're right. if it's 
six months from now. So I've I've yet to see those places. So um, congratulations on that. Now you had sent me a thing about your trilogy, but there was a partial. You were there was some still some work going on in the last part. So I don't know what you want to say about it because I know I saw something that was not completely on the record or maybe public yet with the Jazz Harlem thing. Oh, right. Yeah. No, I mean, we actually did an audience building campaign uh, or crowdfunding campaign, which uh, ended successfully uh, a couple of days ago. So uh, it's uh, so it is out there. You know, it's not uh, it's not something that uh, that is confidential information anymore. (laughs) Uh, okay. So yeah, that's you know that's the third part of the trilogy. You know, I'm I'm talking about a trilogy because for me, I mean, you you mentioned before that for you, for the seconds of happiness and the rainbow experiment are very different, and they are they are on a certain level. Uh, but uh, for me, they they sort of you know they are connected in the sense that beyond the multi protagonists and beyond you know. Uh, experimenting with split screens and hyperkinetic editing and all that, um, there's there's a connection in terms of what I'm trying to do with each one of them. It's create an experience, if you want. <clears throat> and uh, in the first film, is you know creating that experience of, uh, of of a moment of crisis, which is what 40 seconds of happiness also means. You know, my title have. But I also have sort of, you know, several levels of interpretation um, and how a moment of crisis can bring us together. And, uh, and with the rainbow experiment, it's a traumatic incident and how it, it, it sort of, you know, influences like, you know, has a ripple effect on the lives of everybody and the lives of each one of them has a ripple effect on the lives of the others. So each decision, you know, each of the character makes has a certain... Um, has certain consequences for for the other characters. Uh, so I, I actually wanted, you know, I mean, it's it's easy to sort of talk about it, but I wanted the audience to have the experience of that with each film. And, and they're all set in New York, uh, which is the other thing that connects them. So I consider Paris is in Harlem, you know, the third film in that trilogy. Um, and uh, for me, it's... Um, it's again something that is, you know, that is going to create an experience for the audience beyond telling a story. And the story is is is, is basically it's set uh, in on a day in 2017 when the no uh, the no dancing or cabaret law that was in place for almost a hundred years in New York was repealed, and it was only repealed last year. Uh, around this time, which is insane. You know, everybody I'm telling this, you know, has no idea that this was even... I know, I was just going to say, well, <laughs> I was just to say, are you, are you going to say next that Blaging finished also? Wow, that's really intriguing. I'm sorry, go ahead. Right, yeah. So, that's amazing. Uh, wow. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's intriguing and it's, you know, and it's uh, really um, absolutely insane that... Uh, that it was ever that it was even in place, you know. It's basically, um, it's it, it's basically, you know, it was it's one of New York City's darkest secrets. So, oh, you know, which has terrorized and decimated the city's culture, and which impacted jazz clubs, bands, and musicians the most. Um, 
Uh, it oh, was established yeah, yeah. during the Harlem Renaissance in 1926, uh, you know, geared towards minimizing the spread of jazz and other ethnically cultural music. Um, but one could call it a war on jazz. Um, and, and the film is, is basically, you know, that's the backdrop. It's a multi-character mosaic that follows several characters, again, through separate but intertwined storylines. And they converge one winter night during an alleged shooting at a jazz bar in Harlem. Uh, so, you know, jazz, I'm a, I'm a huge, you know, jazz fan, as I'm a huge fan. I was going to say, the only thing that I could see there being the city not liking is how uh, I would probably have to sit down and think what jazz player book. I know Clifford Brown, they always said, was a guy who never drank or shot up, but I know... Coltrane was a big heroin junkie and Bird and uh, Sonny Rollins, obviously Miles Davis. I know Monk was banned from cabarets for years. Um, so, right, yeah. but that's not, but that's not, uh, that's not really uh, the, the reason. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, uh, there, there's a lot of uh, complications, obviously, uh, when you're an artist, and, but that's hmm. not the main reason. I think, you know, what what the cabaret law uh, basically meant was um, that dancing uh, in nightclubs was banned throughout the city. <laughs> the city that never sleeps, so that's insane. And that's right. uh, <laughs> the same law, you know, had prohibited more than three musicians to play music together at one time, uh, oh. that it had limited permitted instruments to only three, namely strings, keyboards, and electronic sound systems. So it basically purposely left out jazz tables like wind, percussion, and brass. Um, and, you know, referring to the names that you suggested, you know, like criminals, jazz musicians needed to be fingerprinted, photographed, and subjected to interrogations about their personal lives before they even got a cabaret card, allowing them to perform publicly. So at the height of the New York City jazz movement, some of those cards were suspended, um, and some of those musicians left for Paris. And there they were treated, you know, like the, the, the artists that they were, whose art was incredibly valuable to the world's culture. You know, I, I do believe that jazz is, you know, like uh, to me the most um, uh, important uh, contribution um, uh, to, to, to world's culture, you know, and hence, hence the title of the song, you know, Paris is in Harlem. So it's, it's kind of a reflection of a very real dream. Um, I, I, thought, I thought, that, very I thought that was brilliant. I thought that was brilliant, by the way, because I thought probably alluding to jazz when it was kind of forced Europe and Harlem and like a lot of people don't know how Quincy Jones had to go to you know, got his first band was really huge in Paris when he left um, and by Count Basie and Duke Ellington and uh, I know we all grew up well my age we thought Quincy Jones just created music and there's sorry show maintenance there's a great documentary on Netflix right now called Quincy that his daughter made about him you guys should check mm -hmm. it out since we're talking about jazz. It is a fantastic, right. obviously nobody gets a better view of talking to him than his daughter, but it goes all through his days when he was just a young pup to now how he gives back and he mentors. Uh, so I know someone my age would think he started with the album Thriller and created Michael Jackson. It was the first thing he did, but that was mm -hmm. like, 50, like 40 years to his career. 
Um, so I just want to say thank you for what you're doing for jazz because uh, it's also something that I'm a huge fan of. It's something that I don't as I should with pulling it into my work and the show. It's something that I kind of leave as my pile for my own time. But I really appreciate it because it is getting uh, so many of the giants that I mean, we're down to. I mean, Dave Brubeck's gone and Sonny Rollins can't play anymore because his lungs. And so it's very, it's very great what you're doing. And I, I, I mostly was thinking during 42 minutes of, 42 seconds of happiness, sorry. I was just thinking, and I had also read the thing that you sent me. I just was thinking, wow, there's probably just like a two-hour podcast this director could do about jazz because mm. I felt like your writing was more, and I'm, it's just my station, but I felt like in both films that your writing was more like you were a musician. Right. And I know a lot of writers <laughs> like Cameron Crowe say I have Led Zeppelin playing, or I knew Jimmy Page, or I knew Ronnie Van Zandt, or, you know, I always have something on, but that's what I was really like. I was like, here he's, orchestrated yeah, and, yeah. and not where writers go writers are the center of the world and everything starts with the word because we all know that an editor like dog day afternoon edited most of the script half the script with prob the, the screenwriter got a best screenplay oscar didn't write right. the movie um so that's not to knock writers or editors we both know it's collaborative so how is that do you have jazz always playing have you just listened to too much jazz because it's no I feel, I, actually, I feel like you're you know, soloing actually, <laughs> yeah no thank you that's really interesting because I've you know I'm I'm a musician as well and I've, I've started you know with music that was my first passion and uh you know I've I played the guitar for many many years since I was a child and um you know I'm also a vocalist and uh, and I studied, you know, music studies. Um, I, I majored in music studies and film studies, and then eventually, you know, film took over my life. But uh, but music is very much, uh, you know, in in I, I do I do uh, look at films as a music composition, absolutely, and that's why I'm also talking about that visual perception. Um, which is something that you have when you're listening to music rather than when you're really um, uh, focusing on the word and our whole culture and film culture, particularly, you know, it's very much focused on, on the word beyond, uh, beyond the visuals. Uh, and uh, the, it, this means that that part of the mind gets engaged the most that is the rational part and not the emotional part. And that's why I'm talking about emotional structure because uh, that sort of triggers our emotional journey as an audience member rather than looking at the characters and just observing from a distance their emotional journey. So, yeah, jazz, you know, acts for me as a metaphor in this case for all these voices and instruments that only make sense when put together until one of them takes over the melody and passes it on to the next and then back together for one last explosion. 
Um, so, you know, you can see all films like that, um, and uh, all the stories obviously could be told separately, but the real story is when they are told together through the collective protagonist. Um, and, you know, this, this um, be, so beyond the stories and the emotional experience I want to create for someone watching it, uh, it, it it's just, you know, the... Uh, the the extreme and melodramatic content without losing the tempo and the humor. And that's, that's very much, you know, it's as if I'm describing a musical piece, you know? <laughs> oh, so, yes. No, that's yeah. so, I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't like say oh, I was right, but I just am totally uh, so much more in my brain now because I was just, I, that's what I was thinking of. I was like, this is like, uh, you know, I, I hate, I, I, I shouldn't say hate, I dislike how America and a lot of people have made, like, if you talk about jazz, it's like a snobby subject, or if you know too much about film, you're automatically being a snob, instead of just that you want to talk about John Coltrane or his personnel, and you really, if you think about any John Coltrane song, without McCoy Tyner or Elvin Bishop, he's not John mm-hmm. Coltrane. Right. You take you give any other piano. I got to see McCoy Tyner uh, a couple like a couple years ago, and I was listening, and I was just, and I kept waiting, thinking, when am I going to hear Coltrane? And I was right. like, oh my gosh! I was like, obviously John Coltrane's not going to walk in the room. Otherwise, I really took some good acid. <laughs> like right. I was just, and I just, and that was the first time where I was like, oh my gosh! I was like, all these. All these guys, their personnel that's not known, and I'm not one of those guys who can, you know, I have a friend who actually has a connection to a very close connection. His father was an old uh, jazz player in the 50s uh, to where you can say, hey, you know, Dave Brubeck, 1975, and you'll say, oh, his bass was da-da, and his, you know. But uh, I, I love that you're doing this for multiple art forms. And, and with both films, I also really appreciate that. I don't know if you're purposely doing it, but but this is something that I took from you're giving time to more characters at a time where in America we're centering ourselves around one thing Mm -hmm. or we're just not being involved in anything. And I'm not going to remotely get into a conversation about you know who, but it's like we're becoming that's the topic of the day or I don't want to talk and I want to go off to my own world. And you allow these characters to come from all kinds of different parts to the same situation. And it was really making me think like, Hey, you know, we need to, I think we're all guilty of it. I think it's a human thing, but I, myself, I don't mind being personal on the air. I'm going through right now where sometimes I struggle with uh, not noticing that sometimes I think, only I notice what I need to do today instead of thinking how it's going to affect, excuse me, who right. I hang out with, who I work. And I think it's just human nature. We're all told do, 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 do. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, you know. Yeah. So, and it's so, you know, what you're, what you're saying is so key uh, right now because I, I couldn't agree more. And that's, you know, why I'm being so vocal about it. Uh, because there's, as you say, we're all guilty, uh, and we're all guilty for, you know, many, many, many years. <laughs> and, 
our storytelling uh, is influencing the way we perceive reality, and reality is influencing our storytelling. It's difficult to say, you know, did the egg make the hen or the hen that, you know, the chicken does the egg. <laughs> right, so, right. So uh, it's, it's all interconnected. But I do believe that our cultures, especially the Western cultures, extreme focus on single protagonists and on conflict ultimately means that this is perpetuated, that we get that sense of one person is more important than other people, one story is more important than other people's, one perspective is more important. And if you connect that with the fact that most storytellers, uh, you know, let's look at film, but, you know, we can spread it out onto any other art form, come from a very small part of the population, which is the white male uh, straight, um, you know, percentage of the population, which is a minority, if you come to think about it, right? Uh, And that defined the narrative, and uh, that form of storytelling is very much uh, connected uh, with that. So that's why I'm saying, you know, I'm a minority filmmaker, so-called minority filmmaker, although that's not true, uh, because you know, women are (laughs) in my story. Oh, hey, Uh, you guys, you guys are, you guys are, you guys are stormy. Or sorry, shouldn't say it like that. Almost said in the beach at Normandy. But, um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I hope awesome. Not I, I think it's know, fantastic. I, I, I wish I was a famous person for five minutes to coin the term female new wave and then not be famous so that it be right. used by me. I think it's the most awesome, beautiful thing. I remember when I discovered the film Fatals, I, I looked around. I've had one tall say this on air. I looked around right. and I went, well, I've never heard any woman tell me they wanted to direct. So it wasn't like, yeah. okay, well, that's the reason why you direct less. I had just, yeah. I'd actually only met one director in 15 years. And there was a fatale who came on and said, there is whatever ounce you call it, agree, not agree, to where we didn't step forward. We didn't right. write scripts. It's not just that a guy put his foot on our head and said no, because now it was the is lit and I'm more um the show turned into like sixty two percent female filmmakers and I'm like wait a minute I set up to help make it fifty fifty and now it's like there's more women on the show. So <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's so it's awesome. not it's just fantastic. gonna be a spark. Uh but right. what I'm saying is that you know for me just going back to that uh that idea of multi protagonist that for me, that form of storytelling, and it's just one form of storytelling where, you know, someone is pushing the envelope. I'm sure there's more. Um, for me, it's the ultimate form of inclusive cinema as it enables a simultaneous perception of different points of view and one that forges understanding of the complexity of truth, you know, and compassion for the human condition. And it's perhaps the only way to approach, you know, such hot, hot baton issues as, as our current themes and, and ultimately the themes of Paris in Harlem, which are racism and sexism, you know, and that's, that's a world where, you know, there's no absolute truth, no clear solutions, and we are training to perceive all perspectives at once. And that's what I mean when I say we are responsible, and I completely agree with you that 
we are guilty um, and and we have to wise up um, uh, in in that you know our storytelling is trained in our minds in a certain way. So you know the fact that conflict is the heart of drama, that, that there's single protagonist, you know that it's not about contrast and simultaneous perception of different perspectives of different people is training our minds towards one direction. You know, there's, you know, there's heroes and, you know, villains and, you know, it's, it's just a very, very, um, very limiting and limited perception of reality, uh, which corresponds to perception of story. And as such, for me, you know, that uh, storytelling that I'm interested in, that, that I'm, you know, exploring breaks away from the male cinema of plot, you know, which is the storytelling of the patriarchy, if I may use that word. It's not it's not a female narrative or female gaze, you know, that's not I you know, I'm more opt for calling it the other gaze, you know, definitely indicative of the time when uh, when, you know, patriarchy is approaching its end and when the tree stru- structures are starting to dissolve and um and uh, it's, it's it's something that uh, that I'm really excited about, you know, to sort of you know go away from the monolithic point of view that usually goes with it. Um, so um, yeah, I mean that's that's the background behind, if you want, the trilogy. That's the background of of 42 Seconds of Happiness, of the Rainbow Experiment, and Paris is in Harlem as well. Um, and well, I'm uh, I'm intrigued that you're gonna go into racism and sexism because I'm just going to mention her briefly, the filmmaker who introduced me to you. Uh, mm-hmm. Her her film is uh, what I what I loved about that film so much, The Wedding Invitation, was that that right. was a film that, like you were saying, not the male or female, was that I could not, if you handed it to a male director, I could not have seen it being pulled off. And I've seen it right. four times because I've shown it to people. And I told Ray, I said, you know, when I watched it the fourth time, I said, I realized something. I said, I've never looked at it and thought, hey, that's just Ray. Like, I can text her or email her or say what's up to her. And I was, like, just completely buying that this Lucy girl was being neurotic. And I never want to say too many things about Lucy because I don't know if it's autobiographical. So, right. Um, you know, so, uh, but that's what I love, and I and thank you for saying, um, because when I hear this, I don't believe in lines in the sand either. Someone told me uh, they use that demographic of the privileged white male of this age. It included my father's age. I was like, okay, well, my father's been working since he was 13 years old, and he's 68, so have you had a job for 55 years? And his didn't even buy his clothes when he was in high school. So like, did your dad, if your dad even bought your clothes, you're more privileged than my father was. So it's like, I love just these things are opening up that there's even people who are willing to put them in cinema, music, be willing to hear them, maybe completely disagree, but at least let it be said. Maybe someone's going to hear this and be like, oh, your dad's the only guy on the planet who's not a white guy that age that had something handed to him. Maybe he is the only guy on earth. But in my experience, I can look around and be like, well, you haven't held a job for 55 years. So you weren't a Marine in Vietnam. Because like I'm saying, that's my dad's narrative. That's not mine or yours. So I I really like that you're giving 
the multiple voices. Um, and I'm, and I'm glad that we got to come on and talk today about that because it's really getting lost. There's too many different subjects that it could be about. And I like that your film, um, like I said, it's not a Second amendment thing. You're also, you had mentioned being European, probably have a different view than the Western culture right now. And we only have like four minutes, so we can't get into the relevance of the rainbow experiment. So I also want to tell people that uh, just to in in just recommending to see to see it and see these films, there's something very very relevant conversations that need to be had. Well, after both films, but especially with the rainbow experiment, uh, something that's just audaciously out of control in our country. I'm going to start crying if I talk about it further, but. I just want to really commend mm-hmm. you for putting yourself out there. And um, we can't say it anymore. We used to say, well, that filmmaker, and please, I'm just saying this as a statement, but that old statement of, wow, that musician really had a lot of balls to do that, we can't say anymore. So mm-hmm. um, not meaning that in a bad way. I'm just meaning yeah, the equivalent yeah. of that. For right. for what you're yeah. doing, I have the utmost respect for because I like when I love when any artist is just willing to say, you know what, I'm just going to do this, and I'm not doing it to say f you, but I'm just going to do it. And we just really appreciate you being a part of the show today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. And, and you know, I mean, just just uh, I mean, in terms of the rainbow experiment, it's. You know, it is a very, you know, it's, it's, it's set in an American high school, which is like, you know, I think our high schools are like the centerpiece <laughs> of, of society because that's where, you know, we get educated, right? Where we become right. from kids, we turn from kids to adults and where, you know, we educate those kids that become adults under our eyes. So uh, that's, that's really, uh, you know, that, that story of, you know, an, an experiment going wrong and, and the explosion that that creates in everybody's lives uh, is, is so much an American story on so many levels. But it is also... And that's what I discovered when traveling with a film to China, which is a very different relationship to education or to Russia. You know, the schools are very different. Authority is a different concept in those countries. But there was still a very strong connection with the audiences, and that's why these festivals invited the film, because there's the human condition. And the human condition goes beyond boundaries. It's not about being, you know, American or being European or being Chinese or being Russian. It's ultimately about how difficult it is to be a human being, uh, to deal with things like loss, to deal with things like pain, uh, and, you know, which is unavoidable in a human life. Um, and uh, that is, to me, you know, the most Uh, You know, that's the thing I focus on, and uh, that, you know, goes beyond nationality. Oh, no, I agree with you totally. And that is is a relief. And what I want to close with, one of our producers, he's 73. He's been a film nut for 60 years. And what you were just saying, he would have said, if we could all just learn that we're all just bozos on the bus, then we'd get along a lot better. Right. <laughs> yes. 
please, uh, I'll, I'll keep in touch with you. Please feel to throw, throw us on any uh, newsletter. We'll keep audience abreast. We'd love to know how things go and uh, any guests that right. comes on in the future. So we'd love to do that. You're, just just let me know or let us know, whatever. Thank you so to- much. Yes. And I will be, I don't know if that, if that will be in time. Well, you know, I'll, I'll sort of have my, uh, the kids that I worked with uh, during the rainbow experiment, uh, I'll, you know, have them together for a Facebook Live a week from today um, on Saturday at 8 p.m., uh, which is, you know, uh, under the rainbow experiment, the Facebook page of the film. Uh, so, you know, if, if, uh, People have watched the film, you know, they can connect with us, ask questions, we will answer life, and then, you know, there will be the video also to watch afterwards on the page. So, the Rainbow Experiment. Okay, excellent. Facebook event, excellent. We'll, we'll keep abreast of that, and that's awesome, and thank you for continuing to give back in other ways like that. That's, that's awesome, using social media for a good reason. And uh, lastly, we wish you happy holidays. Thank you so much. You too, Paul. That was a joy talking with you. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, everyone. That was an, a fantastic, wonderful talk. I love guests. I get this like feeling in my book where I'm like, we could talk for three hours, but you know what? We can't. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, talking pictures, morning, noon, or night, make sure and watch a good movie.